from South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on March 13th, 2023 at South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it, but the clocks have already sprung forward and we're stuck with it. Also, breaking news at the top here, we gotta let you know about our live taping at Kite Hill Brewing on Thursday, April 13th at 6 p.m. That's right, our first live taping of 2023. Please come out and see us, all of our folks up in Clemson. We would love to see you meet and greet at Kite Hill Brewing. You can easily RSVP, which is free, at southcarolinapublicradio.org slash leadlaughlove. It's right there on southcarolinapublicradio.org. Just sign up. We want to know how many people are going to come. We're going to bring some swag. You're going to see some of your favorite folks out there. Besides me and AT, um, it's going to be a blast. Kite Hill Brewing, April 13th. We'll see you then. This episode features a South Carolina angle to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank the worst bank failure since the 2008 crash. We also look at the Statehouse this week and what bills will be moving, as well as more of what's in the $14 billion House budget on the floor. Senator Marlon Kimson is set to leave the Senate after this session, and in business, Boeing is delivering the 787 again. Bahrain just got the first South Carolina-produced F-16, and we have new unemployment numbers for you. But before we get to those numbers, we have a more important number for you. 803-563-7169. If you're driving, stop the car. If you're walking, get in the car and stop it. If you're talking to someone, say stop, please, and make this phone call right now. It could change your life. I know it will change our life because we want to hear from you guys, our listeners. We love hearing from you guys. Tell us about how the time change is affecting you. It's affecting all of us in different ways. AT and I will talk about that. I'm sure you're eager to know uh, just how drastically our lives have changed by one hour in the wind down where we hear from you. So... Give us a shout, 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world. As you know by now, Silicon Valley Bank went bust on Friday. That's the largest such failure since the financial industry was on the brink of collapse in 2008. And over the weekend, the regulars at the Department of Treasury, FDIC, and Federal Reserve made moves to shore things up. The Biden administration moved to guarantee that all depositors at the bank had access to their funds on Monday, even the $150 billion in uninsured deposits. A second bank, Signature Bank in New York, was also shut down by federal regulators and extended the same protections to the $70 billion in uninsured deposits. These are moves that the government hopes will limit any contagion effects. And this money comes from the Deposit Insurance Fund, which all banks pay into. CNBC reports that in addition to protecting these deposits, the Federal Reserve announced a new bank term funding program that is aimed at safeguarding institutions vulnerable to the market instability created by the SVB failure. The new Fed facility will offer loans up to one year to banks, savings associations, credit unions, and other institutions. Now, as a result of these moves, Senator Tim Scott, who is the ranking member of the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, released the following statement, quote, I strongly believe it is important we bring our markets to a calm and orderly resolution. Our financial services sector must stay strong and measured to serve the needs of the American people. Building a culture of government intervention does nothing to stop future institutions from relying on the government to swoop in after taking excessive risks. I remain committed to bringing accountability and answers to the American people, both from the banks and our regulators. We deserve to know exactly what happened and why. 
Just days before, Senator Scott made this statement about banks and the capitalization requirements that they have to have to withstand any financial shocks, something executives at SVB successfully fought against during the Trump administration. We should be laser-focused on our economy and addressing the needs of everyday Americans trying to forge a new future and helping them open the door to opportunity. As you and I both know, capital and its quality must be continually scrutinized, but increased capital does not necessarily provide an increased benefit, and requiring banks to hold capital that is not risk-based and appropriately tailored to a bank's size, scope, and activities can cause more harm than good. At a time of record inflation, where everyday needs are more expensive, we should not be pursuing actions that are harmful. Rather, we should be supporting the engine of our economy, small businesses. Scott and several other senators sent Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell a letter to that effect on March 3rd as well. While some bank stocks Monday were hurting, American financial markets overall were in the positive as of our taping. Heck, even Bitcoin was rallying. Meanwhile, oil was down $1.44 a barrel. Now let's go from financial instability to some political instability. Question mark? That's right, I'm talking about the State House this week. And we know that the House will be consumed with debating the $14 billion budget crafted by the Ways and Means Committee. And I'll have additional highlights for you in just a moment. Over in the Senate, there will be a Judiciary Committee hearing on Tuesday and an Education Subcommittee hearing Wednesday on the House's CRT bill, something that hasn't previously happened with other versions of this bill in the Senate before. Another hearing on Wednesday will focus on breaking up DHEC and several behavioral health agencies. That's Bill S-399. I also spoke with Beaufort Republican Senator Tom Davis last week, and he said he expects his medical marijuana bill to come up before the Senate this week. And he is optimistic of its passage in the chamber, which it passed before, as well as over in the House, where it hit a snag last year. So last Tuesday, we broke down part of what's in the $14 billion House budget that lawmakers began debating Monday afternoon and will continue this week. In last Tuesday's pod, we went through most of the K-12 and higher education aspects of the budget. So let's continue by looking at some other parts, including highlights featuring economic development. And I'm talking about $220 million in one-time dollars for the Department of Commerce for strategic economic development infrastructure, as well as funding to attract businesses and create site inventory in the state. The Department of Parks, Recreation, and Tourism is set to receive $12 million in non-recurring funds for destination-specific tourism marketing grants, also $25 million for state park development, enhancements, and maintenance. That's right, folks. State parks are about to get a nice little boost there as well as $2.1 million for the state's welcome centers, which need some TLC. Now I'm going to keep throwing some more numbers at you, including what DHEC is requesting. They're looking at $47.5 million in non-recurring money for the Dam Safety Emergency Fund, which if you survived the 2015 flood, you know is much needed. Over in the Department of Health and Human Services budget, they will again receive $2.4 million in recurring funds for crisis pregnancy centers, which is a little controversial for some people. The Department of Mental Health is budgeted to receive $2.9 million in recurring funds for its suicide prevention hotline, as well as $8.8 million in recurring funds for veterans' nursing homes and long-term care facilities, and another $1.5 million in recurring funds for the Sexually Violent Predator Treatment Program. So you're hearing a lot about recurring funds. That's money that comes back every year versus a lot of those one-time dollars, which we have a major surplus of for some of those investments in infrastructure and capital. 
And wrapping up with the Department of Corrections and the Department of Juvenile Justice, there is $50 million in non-recurring funds for safety upgrades and other critical capital needs. And the Disaster Relief and Resilience Reserve Fund will receive $20 million in non-recurring funds. Now, again, this is what the House Ways and Means Committee has proposed in its $14 billion budget, which lawmakers are debating on the floor now. We don't expect any major changes on the floor. There will be a lot of amendments debated. There's going to be a lot of back and forth on folks trying to drill down on some of these things. There's going to be a lot of rah, rah, rah. But again, this is already kind of set in stone for the House. It's going to go to the Senate. They're going to make their own changes. And then it'll come back to the House. And they're going to go back and forth for a little bit before we get a budget starting July 1st. Okay, we're pivoting from the House now to the Senate. And if you've listened to this podcast over the years, thank you, members like you, thank you. But also, you know the unique voice of Charleston Democratic Senator Marlon Kimson. Talking about this. Brown liquor. Even mentioning that. We in a pandemic. Hey, how about that one, too? Data. Even our friend Mayon Schechter at the state newspaper got a shout out. I said, well, where is Ms. Schechter been? But we haven't gone to the Kimson well much lately because, well, he hasn't been at the center of too many recent debates. And he's also been very busy. For example, on the first day of session on January 10th, he informed the Senate of this. Just got back from the White House. I had the opportunity to be invited to the White House Christmas party. Didn't get a chance to talk to the president while I was at the White House. You know, I've been to the White House several times. I, I enjoy being at the White House. Planning to go back to the White House, but didn't get a chance to talk to the president while I was there. Uh, but I did see he and the first lady. And yes, Kimson will indeed be going back to the White House, in a sense, since President Joe Biden appointed him to the Advisory Committee for Trade Policy and Negotiations last week. Kimson told the Associated Press and other outlets that he will be stepping down from his District 42 seat after the legislative session to focus on this committee that provides policy advice to the United States Trade Representative on matters arising in connection with the development, implementation, and administration of the trade policy of the United States. Furthermore, the committee includes up to 45 members recommended by the U.S. Trade Representative who are appointed by the president and have expertise in general trade, investment, and development issues. Now, Kimson is a lawyer with Motley Rice and knows a good bit about trade since his district and surrounding areas include the Port of Charleston and a bustling economy full of manufacturers like Boeing. Kimson has represented part of the Charleston area since 2013, and his pending resignation has set off a frenzy of activity. So far, two representatives, Wendell Gilliard and Dion Tedder, have declared that they will run for the District 42 seat, and there is talk that as many as eight people could be in this race when a special election takes place later this year. Another person who could be jumping in is North Charleston Representative Marvin Pendarvis, who said Monday that he will not be running to replace retiring North Charleston Mayor Keith Sumi as he had long planned to do. We'll be watching. Now let's start off with some unemployment data. Data. Oh, he's still here with us. That's right. We're looking at what's going on in South Carolina. In January, the unemployment rate ticked down to 3.2 percent, 
from 3.3% in December as the labor market remained hot. This according to the Department of Employment and Workforce. Industries with the biggest gains were education and health services, leisure and hospitality, and government. Industries that saw employment declines were focused in finance and business services. Now we take to the skies, as our business section becomes our aerospace section. Let's start off with a quick note about Boeing and the 787 Dreamliner built exclusively in North Charleston. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Federal Aviation Administration has cleared Boeing to again start deliveries of the Twin Isle aircraft. Deliveries were halted in February due to documentation issues. The pause was the latest setback in regulatory and production issues for the Dreamliner over the past two years. Deliveries had just resumed in August after the FAA said its regulators would be signing off on each plane instead of Boeing employees performing those safety checks. So regulators doing their job. Boeing has about 100 planes built and ready to deliver in a backlog of some 575 jets as it begins ramping up production to five per month. Sounds pretty hype, right? Exactly. That was the moment that the curtain spread open and the audience of some 200 dignitaries at Lockheed Martin in Greenville saw the first F-16 Block 70 aircraft that was built at the plant, the global home for the F-16. The jet, which took its first flight in January, will be heading to the Kingdom of Bahrain for its Air Force after undergoing more flight tests at Edwards Air Force Base in California. It's part of an order of 16 F-16s for the Royal Bahraini Air Force that has been flying a version of the F-16 since 1989. Lockheed's chief operating officer, Frank St. John, said that this has been a key partnership along with other allies around the world to keeping the line alive for the F-16 as the world gets more unstable. Today we mark the next chapter in this story as Bahrain receives the first F-16 Block 70. The world has changed significantly since the first Bahraini F-16 was rolled out in 1989. Now we look out on a global environment faced with challenges and threats to security that are evolving at an extraordinary pace. And these threats touch every domain, land, sea, air, space, and even the cyber realm. To deter and, if necessary, decisively defeat these threats, we need to evolve our warfighting approach, field new capabilities, and connect existing and new systems across multiple domains and with our coalition partners as never before. This vision of 21st century security is guiding and animating all of our strategy, development, and investments at Lockheed Martin. The Fighting Falcon production line was moved from Lockheed's Fort Worth plant back in 2019 as the company made more space for the F-35 advanced fighter jet that it also produces. The F-16 is a standby and one that has been flown by 25 countries, including Bahrain, which was the first in the Gulf. Senator Lindsey Graham touted the strategic relationship with the United States and Bahrain, which is also home to the U.S. Navy's 5th Fleet. You know, we're having a big discussion in America, you know, what should we do and when should we do it, Henry? You know, how should we fight and when would she fight and when should other people do it? Here's what I think. The common threats that Bahrain and the United States face have to be fought together. I've learned through my travels that the, having allies is better than doing it by yourself. Keeping the war away from America is better than fighting it here. And the only way that's going to work is to have partners over there that will protect us here. Graham said, if you can drive it or shoot it, we make it in South Carolina. 
and now he makes something that flies and shoots. Now there's a backlog of about 127 F-16s with the likelihood of other countries jumping on board like Jordan. But of course the big question is if and when Ukraine would get the jet, which would be a game changer in its fight against Russia, which illegally invaded the country more than a year ago. I think it is in our national security interest to give Ukraine modern fighter jets, not the MiG-31s. They want the F-16. It's kind of interesting to me that when Ukraine had to make a decision about what they would like to defend their nation against a Russian invasion, they picked the F-16. It is in our interest to provide them the F-16. I believe that will be forthcoming. The pilots from Ukraine will take to it very quickly. And probably what will happen is you'll have some NATO allies give Ukraine their F-16s and we will build new ones for them and backfill. So all foreign military sell F-16s are made now in Greenville, South Carolina. We'll be providing this fighter all over the world to our allies and I am urging the Biden administration, give Ukraine the F-16s now. Senator, what about escalation when you talk about fighter jets? I mean, doesn't that just up everything and put more I'm, pressure on Russia? Out? I'm not worried about escalation. I'm worrying about defeating uh, Putin and Ukraine. They've said this about everything. If we give HIMARS advanced artillery, if we give them the tanks, I'm not worried about escalating. Uh, I am worried about defeating Putin. And here's what I've come to understand. If we give the Ukrainians the weapons they need, the right weapons, they can defeat the Russians. So don't let uh, Putin's bluster make American foreign policy. Graham was also asked whether the United States should sell the jet to Turkey, which is currently blocking the admission of Finland and Sweden to NATO, primarily because Turkey raised objections accusing the countries of harboring groups it deems terrorists. Reuters reports that Turkey said Sweden in particular must first take a clear stance against these groups, mainly Kurdish militants and a group it blames for a 2016 coup attempt. Here's Graham. I don't see F-16s being sold to Turkey until we get Finland and Sweden admitted into NATO. But if that happens, I will be a big advocate to sell F-16s to Turkey. These planes will be made here. They want 40 new jets and they want to upgrade about 79. That would be five years of work for this facility. A deal with Turkey was valued around $20 billion. And Turkey has been flying the F-16 since 1987. Just a little backstory here. Lockheed Martin acquired the F-16 production line from General Dynamics in 1993. And if you thought I was done talking about numbers and investments, well, you would just be wrong. On the way out, I want to recap some federal funding that is coming to the state, including $185.8 million for broadband infrastructure through the Federal Capital Projects Fund that will serve about 31,650 folks in locations lacking high-speed internet access in the state. This is part of a continued push to close that broadband gap, which officials say will take place within five years. According to the White House, the money is in the form of a competitive last-mile broadband grant program designed to provide affordable, reliable broadband service to rural areas that currently have no internet service. Within those eligible areas, the Main Street program prioritizes projects that will deliver broadband to rural town centers and the surrounding residential areas. Each of the Internet service providers funded by the program will participate in the FCC's Affordable Connectivity Program, which is a $30 per month subsidy for low-income families. 
And we have an update on federal transportation funding. You may remember that USDOT Secretary Pete Buttigieg visited North Charleston last October with Congressman Jim Clyburn and made stops at the Charleston International Airport, CARTA, and the Wanda Welch Port. Well, USDOT recently announced $100 million in funding to the Rapid Bus Transit Project to connect North Charleston with downtown Charleston. This is one of 18 recommended projects for construction by the U.S. Department of Transportation. And $5 million was recently awarded to the Columbia Metropolitan Airport to fund a portion of the terminal expansion project, adding a fourth screening lane to the passenger security screening checkpoint and bringing the checkpoint up to the current TSA standards. I mean, it is a breeze to fly through Columbia, I can just say that. The Federal Aviation Administration is awarding nearly $1 billion from President Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law to 99 airports across the country. This $5 million comes from the Airport Terminal Program, one of three aviation programs created by the bipartisan infrastructure law. Like I said, the law provides $1 billion annually for five years for Airport Terminal Program grants. In total, the bipartisan infrastructure law provided a historic $25 billion to modernize airport infrastructure. And I hope you're enjoying daylight saving time as much as I am. Just a reminder that in 2020, South Carolina became one of 19 states that acted to make daylight saving time year-round if Congress were to enact such a change. Despite the U.S. Senate passing a bill to do so in 2022, the House did not act. The Sunshine Protection Act was reintroduced in the Senate with a companion bill in the House this year, per the National Conference of State Legislatures. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We're glad you're here. We're always glad you're here. Isn't that right, A.T.? Oh, Gavin, what a quick intro and throw to me. Thank you so much. Hey, A.T. Shire, lead producer. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, down here, it's our time. It's our time down here, Gavin. What is time? I I think. Pretty sure I'm pretty thrown off on what time is. DST. I know that it bends around giant gravitational objects throughout the solar system and universe. And we cannot explain it. (laughs) What even is dark energy? Who knows? What is he talking about, guys? (laughs) Anyway, everyone, what am I doing? This is a historic day, not just for being the first DST (laughs) episode during the the DST of twenty twenty three. Exactly. Thank you, Gavin. No, this is a historic day because we're triple dipping. Okay? Oh my god! That's right. Is it because of the time change? It's it. I mean, it I don't could know. Be. It's it's something like Y two K. I think where e all the computers <laughs> <laughs> sent us voicemails that are short, except one. Uh, so, Gavin, are you ready for this one? This first, the first dip of the triple dip. The 1D. I'm responding in binary. Okay, so, yeah, thank I you. I love that. Up on the okay, kit. great, great. 01110. Yes, uh, 010110 to you. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Hey, fellas. Butt dial Bob, your old friend here. Really kind of bummed because I'm not getting to watch Gavin on a Friday night. I like Elvis, but I really like Gavin. Sorry. Bye. Butt dial Bob. Oh, thank you, Butt Dial Bob. We and, love it. And Gavin, yes, it was what? What was? What well, was wrong we've been we've been on uh, pledge drives for the past two weeks, so yes. we are preempted, which means Twisk is off the air for two weeks. But we are back. We are back this Friday, St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Be on the air. We've got a great interview with 
uh, the Richmond Federal Reserve Bank CEO and President Tom Barkin, as well as Dr. Joy Von Nessen from USC. Unfortunately, we taped all this last week. Yes. So, you no, know. No, no bank stuff. <laughs> we have no bank stuff. We're not talking about a CPI or unemployment. Um, so, so much. Fun. They all knew it. We all kind of talked about it, but uh, it's still very relevant stuff. And, because... and Bob, you can you can be upset that you didn't get to see Gavin. You can but hear me. Be happy that you got to hear him in a Durango and a Mustang. Oh my gosh! Okay? Anyway, yes. Gavin, I got this one cleared with our uh, higher ups here. This next dip, the two D, very short. Are you ready? Yes. Yes, I needed that affirmative. It's just like an Sorry, I'm dipping all my chips over here. I don't have time to talk. Here we go. Hey, I know y'all won't be able to use this on the show, but I just needed to tell someone that this f***ed the time change. That's all I got. Our explicit unnamed caller. Whoa! Whoa! (laughs) Yes. The tension is high. It is day one, day two of the DST 2023. Oof. And it's already coming to the surface. It's real out here. Thank you, our unnamed caller. Our unnamed explicit caller. Thank you. I got to use a bleep. I love that. Yes, that was Finally, someone calls with a message we can all agree with. You know, I'm I'm trying not to live in with hate in my heart these days. (laughs) You're being tested. You're being tested. I am, and we all are. So far, so good. I've been handling the time change. Pretty well so far. Yeah, I, you have been, and um, it, it's been scary. Mostly because I, I got. <laughs> I was scared for you, but uh... <laughs> well, mostly because I've already done Central Time. Yes, I spent a good portion of Sunday sitting in bed and okay. not moving. Uh huh. Yes, just to absorb the time change. Okay. Yeah, my body was adjusting via us. Most you know, it's like uploading new operating software. Anyway, Gavin, let's not tarry here because now we have <laughs> a long call. Yes, they do get cut off at the end, but we get the gist. And it is it. This is Just. DST adjacent. Okay, <laughs> this is in direct violation of the Geneva Convention, according to a lot of our callers. So here we go. Are you ready? Oh man, yeah. Hey, this is Amanda from Yeah, that Greenville, South Carolina. Well, I live in Greenville. I'm from the Low Country. I feel compelled to do the Southern thing that where you're from is where you were born. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I just wanted to match the energy of that daylight saving time discussion uh, at the end of the most recent episode of The Lead because, um, you know, farmers may may not care about the clock time. You know, they're working to sun up and sundown. You know who else doesn't care? Small children. And I got two of those. You know who else doesn't care? Pets. Got two cats. My kids and my cats don't know what it says on the clock and they don't care. So they're getting up at the same time regardless of what's on the clock. So I used to at least like the, the you know, falling back and gaining an hour. I don't even like that anymore. It's just torturous. Twice a year. Torture. As I have to completely change my schedule around the, the, the clock while my children don't, don't know and don't care. And it's... uh yeah, I I hate it. And even worse, so I'm a teacher, and the school where I teach, we're just finishing up our spring break. So basically, I've got to spring forward right before going back to school, which is the worst. So it, whatever whatever we need to do, you know, whatever sort of rallies we need to have, whatever petitions we need to sign, whoever we need to call, 
need to make it happen because it's just it's enough is enough with the daylight state. Nobody knows why we're doing it, and it's time. the time ends now. Also, I don't have any strong opinions about condiments on hot dogs. Um, I tend to prefer mustard, but I don't really care. But I do have a strong opinion now about the type of hot dogs now that I've discovered all beef hot dogs. There's really the only kind. All beef for the hot dogs doesn't really matter. I like relish, um, but the hot dogs do need to be beef. And a complete change of subject. I'm going to throw out a discussion that my father-in-law and I have been having back and forth, which is the merits of salt water versus fresh water for swimming. From the low country, preferred swimming in salt water. I have a strong association between fresh water and alligators. Um, but my father-in-law, being from the Midwest, thinks that swimming in fresh uh, salt water is gross. He thinks that the Great Lakes are better than the ocean. Amanda from hashtag yeah that Greenville. What a great! I mean, she basically did a triple dip in that voicemail right there. That was so good. Yeah. Um, love that she was talking about the young kids and her cats. Yeah. Don't even care about what time is. Yes. She is going through it. She is dealing with it. She is victim number one. We are here with you, Amanda. We're going to try and get you through this. Like I said, I got to lay in bed all day Sunday just absorbing the time. Yeah. She was. Juggling cats and yeah. kids. Oh, Children God bless. the next day calling it school. To- calling it straight up torture. Yeah, Just I agree. What it is. That's why I said. Twice it's, a year. I, it's a Geneva Convention thing. It's probably, they should, whoever came up with it should probably be in the Hague the right Hague. now. I'm yeah. just going to say Hague. it. Go to the Hague. Uh, you know what? I'm saying it. I'm going there. It's the Hague. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, the American Association of uh, Convenience Stores was really big on the 80s for pushing this. So people could go shopping more in the evening time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I was reading an article just about just how bad it is. So many bad things happen around this time, too, including an increase in atrial fibrillation, which is a type of heart arrhythmia in the days following the springtime transition to daylight saving time. This is based on a study. Uh, (laughs) So really just take it easy, guys, for the first week. Like she was saying, she doesn't even like to fall back anymore. I'm kind of getting I'm over it. I've been over it since a child. I liked it the first week, but then I was like, oh, God, like, I like it is sun. The... I like sun later. Oh, period. I'm, well, you know I'm strong anti-sun. Yeah, uh, Gavin is inside. No smiles. No wrinkles. <laughs> no okay? smiles. No wrinkles. Lather up. Get out there. Anyway, Amanda, thank you for calling. I'm sorry you got cut off there, but real quick, yeah. at the end here, salt water. Let's weigh in. I'm go- I'm going hard salt water. Yes, okay? we're coastal kids. We yes. support. We're we're hard ocean. You tell that father-in-law of yours. You tell him that. He could go swim in those dirty, dirty lakes. Disgusting. With their amoebas. amoebas. The brain-eating amoebas. Brain-eating amoebas. And uh, I'm pretty sure there are freshwater alligators and stuff, too. Maybe not in the Great Lakes. But uh, also, like, to be in the Great Lakes, you need to be in an area where it snows uh, 40 feet a year. (laughs) And, like, that's just, I'm not interested in that. There are trade-offs that I'm not interested (laughs) in. Not interested in that. And the casseroles are scary to me. Anyway. Yeah. I have been been in the Mississippi River. It's not good. Mm Mm-mm. Not good to water ski in. Uh, it's a little brack. I don't know. <laughs> it's not good. It's when I brack. first lived in Louisiana. No one told me. <laughs> anyway, Gavin, I, yeah, so I'm, pretty, water. I'm pretty sure Gavin <laughs> wants to swim in the Hudson River now. And uh, uh, and now uh, the Anacostia River in Washington, D.C. <laughs> so have a good week, week, everyone. Amanda, thank you for calling. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, happy St. Pat's. Happy St. Pat's, guys. It's on a Friday. That is torture. <laughs> yeah, I have to work all week. Anyway, too. Gavin. Give them the outro. Spring forward, Hit the credits. Folks. We are here for you. We're here for Amanda. We're here for Butt Doll Bob and our explicit caller. Uh, give us a shout, folks. Let us know how you're dealing with this. As you heard from Amanda, it is what we're calling 
torture, as the Geneva Convention defines it here on this podcast. And give us a shout, 803-563-7169. We love hearing from you guys. You can also show us your appreciation by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. How you doing, bud? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm really hot right now. I'm ready to go. I'm too hot to trot. Why are you so? Are you sweating? Ah! Uh...